inch me, will you? You will be getting to meet the extremely accomplished Soledad O'Brien in just a moment. No te vayas. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. ¿Qué tal? Bienvenida. Like I said moments ago, please pinch me. Absolutely. Please pinch me. This is Jen Hemphill, your host. I am so thrilled you are here. Now, even though I'm about to share with you the conversation I had with Soledad O'Brien, it is still unreal for me. I won't forget the day that I asked her, you don't know me very well. I was just on a panel with you. I think you're, you're awesome. Will you be on my podcast? And knowing how busy she is, I thought, of course, I'm going to get a no. And she didn't. She said yes. So I am really thrilled that I got to talk to her, that I get to share with you this conversation because she has achieved a level of success that many of us aspire to do. And today, one of the things that she shares with us is her best practices to achieve your career goals, which I know we talk finances most of the time, but when we also have career goals and achieving those career goals really impacts how we also do financially in terms of the money we make. So I think it's also important to understand those best practices on your career goals because it's all interrelated. And in addition to her level of success, she is classy and she is strong. Let me share with you a little bit about Soledad O'Brien. She is an award-winning journalist, speaker, author, and philanthropist who anchors and produces the Hearst television political magazine program, Matter of Fact, with Soledad O'Brien. O'Brien is the founder and CEO of Soledad O'Brien Productions, and she also reports for HBO Real Sports, the PBS NewsHour, WebMD, and has authored two books. She has appeared on networks like Fox, Oxygen, and Anchored, and reported for NBC, MSNBC, and CNN. Soledad has also won numerous awards, including three Emmys, the George Peabody Award, and Alfred I. DuPont Prize, and Gracie. Newsweek Magazine named her one of the 15 people who make America great. With her husband, she is founder of the Powerful Foundation that helps young women get to and through college. In today's episode, you're going to hear Soledad's money story, how journalism ties to money, as well as her best practices that has helped her achieve her career goals. Lista, vamos a conocer this reina of her money. What a pleasure. We have Soledad O'Brien with us. Thank you so much for being with us, Soledad. It's such a pleasure and such an honor. The pleasure is mine. Nice to talk to you. Yes. So let's start off with your money story. So take us, let's go back in time where maybe you're a little girl or a teen or 
your first memory that was tied to money? What did you see? What did you hear and experience? You know, I probably one of my first was in recognizing that if there were things that I wanted to do, I was going to have to earn the money to do them. So pretty early on, I worked. I worked babysitting. I worked helping my neighbors. I worked at a little farm so I could pay for my riding lessons because my parents were pretty solidly middle class. But we had five brothers and sisters, which meant that you know there was not a ton of money for people to be involved in expensive sports like equestrian sports or even kind of expensive anything, you know, anything you really wanted to do that was sort of special and out there, you certainly were going to have to fund it by yourself. If you wanted to go to Europe with your friends after high school, if you wanted, you know, things, it was just not going to happen. My parents weren't going to pay for it. And so I think pretty early on, I knew that I was going to have to make some money for the things that I wanted to do. And I don't remember how old I was then, but young, probably 10, maybe, or 12, I started working officially working mucking stalls uh, in order to pay for my riding lessons when I was about 13. So so I think it was pretty early. Wow, that's about when I started working the babysitting at 10 years of age, which I don't think people babysit at that age anymore. But in my <laughs> days, it was acceptable. Now, I'm curious to know with your parents, your parents are from two different cultural backgrounds. Did you see any differences in when they were raising you or if they were talking to you about money, any differences in their values or their perceptions of money of what they just thought was most important? No, I think for my parents, really behind them was the Depression era and growing up as children in the Depression. And so I think they both were actually quite similar. There was not some huge cultural difference. And the similarity is that you saved money and you packed away money as best as you could and you used things literally until the very end that they were you know, in collapse and falling apart and something had holes in it. And then you'd go and buy another one. A good example would be a bra. You know, my mother wouldn't buy a new bra until you know the one she had was just on its very last legs. Most women I know have you know ten bras and sports bras and the bra without straps so they can wear a fancy dress and that you know and again I think the depression era thinking is much more one or two is plenty and you'll figure it out and if you can't figure it out then you don't go. So I think they were minimalist, not intentionally like we see today, but just their mindset was of less and making sure that you paid all your bills and making sure that you used everything as much as you possibly could. Right. And because they were from the depression era, did you learn lessons from them just by example, like you had mentioned, or was there any time where they just sat with you and talked to you about money, about the importance of saving, because you saw that through their actions? Or was there really no talk? No, you know, what's interesting. I don't think they ever had a strategy and a plan. And in fact, when they got much older, I really realized the degree to which they hadn't strategized. They thought about retirement, but they'd never really planned for old age. And so by the time I was old enough and heavily involved in where they would be living, out their last years, I began to realize that they actually, they hadn't planned for living long. You know, what do you do when you're 85, right? What do you do when you're old and frail? Where should you be living? What kind of a house should you be? And things like that, they actually hadn't planned for. So no, I didn't think that they really had a strategy. I think it was a very bare bones strategy. Save as much as you can. Don't be wasteful. It would be kind of how I think they would describe it. And so we didn't have a lot of talks about money. Like I definitely talked to my kids much more 
to have them understand why you might want to take out a loan for this or why you should definitely not take out a loan for that or how much money this thing is actually going to cost you in the long run. Do you realize that? My parents never really had that conversation with me. Right. Which is very common, (laughs) which is very common with a lot of us. I think they were unusual. And I used to think they were pretty solid on this stuff. And then as they got older, I realized they really weren't. They kind of had the range from A to C covered, but certainly not A to Z. And because of that, they were able to get to retirement because they had a pretty good strategy around that. But when it came to where do you want to live when you're old and frail? They just never thought about it. And by the time they started thinking about it, frankly, they were getting too old. You know, that by the time you realize like somebody should be your signer on your accounts and all of your bills should be automated and that you can be taken advantage of by all these places that want your donation or want to want you to buy so many random things that they used to buy, you know, (laughs) they were elderly and my mom had dementia and they started really getting taken advantage of as old people. Crazy how people do that. It still baffles me. I don't get it. Now let's go to your career. You've had an incredible career in journalism. And I'm curious to know, as you went through the different jobs that you took on in terms of pay, did you experience any financial challenges, maybe negotiating as a woman, as a woman of color? How did you navigate those waters? Because obviously, you have done really well. I got an agent. I never liked negotiating. I didn't like it. I never do like, it's probably gotten easier for me now. But but I never did like sort of sitting down and negotiate. I didn't like the game playing of it. I'm a very sort of straightforward person. So if you say this thing here costs $10, I'm not going to come back with, well, I'll give you eight. I'm going to assume if I want it, it's 10. If I don't want it, I should walk away. But a lot of people love the game and a lot of agenting, frankly, and contractual stuff is about this game of you know the negotiation. I never enjoyed that. So I just it was not fun for me. So as talent, when I started working as a reporter, I had an agent represent me. And that was helpful because they also bring in a knowledge about what, what the market is bearing. We know what, you know what other people are getting paid so that you're in the range. You're not coming up with a number that's just out of nowhere. So that was useful. I think when I really started, I was a writer and associate producer and a producer. And TV news, a lot of it was kind of set. You know, you had a really small range that you could get your salary within. And I was always sort of squarely within that range. And I never thought I was going to stay in those jobs forever. So I think if the money was good enough, I would say yes. And the idea for me was to make sure you just kept moving up and earning out of any of the challenges that you had, that you had to make enough money to pay your rent, but the goal would be to get the next job, not necessarily staying within that category and hoping to move the needle on the category, but instead jumping to a whole new category, which would open up a new range of pay, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And for those listening that maybe are in the career of journalism or are wanting to go into journalism, I think that was smart. You noticed what you didn't like, which was negotiating, and you found someone that did that, which obviously is a huge asset. Because a lot of the upside is knowing what other people make. Like A lot of what your agent provides is, let me tell you, I know what all your colleagues are making. So this number is going to be solidly in the middle of that, or this is going to be high for that, or this will be low for that. I think that was a very valuable piece of advice, as opposed to me trying to negotiate something that I didn't really have a lot of insight in. It makes sense. And how did you go about finding an agent that made sense that was a good agent for you? Because I'm sure there's all sorts of agents, like anything, there's the good, (laughs) 
and there's the not so good. So how did you go about choosing one that really worked for you? What were your best interests? Yeah, when I started, a lot of it was just the people who were willing to work with me. I was brand new. You find people who were sort of willing to take you on. And then as I get older, I really had to have a connection with them. I had They had to kind of get what I was trying to do. So over my lifetime, I probably had four agents um, and all were the right agent at the right time. And then you sort of move on because you're doing something else in your career and you have somebody who's a little better attuned to that. But sometimes when you start, it's, you know, did this person return your phone calls and say that they would take you? And if they did, then that would be helpful. Right. Love it. Before we continue, I have a quick message for you. Her Dinero Matters is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account to refinancing household debt to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member of FDIC, equal housing lender. And now you have moved to your new venture, Soledad O'Brien Productions. Now, did you envision this? Because you did mention that when you were taking on jobs, you didn't see it as a permanent, like this was just a temporary, the position that you took. So had you had this new company or newer company in mind when you were working like at CNN or those other positions? Yeah, I definitely was at CNN. And I knew when I was at CNN that I would run a production company. That was my goal toward my end of my time at CNN. I didn't exactly know when, but I think I always knew what I loved about running a production company is I like having multiple streams of income. I like being diversified as opposed to, and listen, I anchored a bunch of shows, right? So what ended up happening is if people liked you, you'd be, do great in that show. And then someone would come in and they didn't like you in that show or the show wouldn't do well. And then that show gets canceled. And it can be very disruptive, right? To be canceled off of a show. When I was working in San Francisco, I did a show that was canceled. And I was living in San Francisco, but the network was NBC in New York. And I had to kind of come back to New York. And you know, I was relatively young, but it sort of blows up where you're living. I, I was fine. I loved New York and I wanted to be back in New York. So that worked out well. But imagine if I had always thought I would stay in San Francisco, I could see that being incredibly unnerving and disruptive to one's career. So I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be diversified, that I wanted to have various streams of income so that I never had to rely on this person likes me. So my career is set over here. I love that because that is so important, the multiple streams of income. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because you just can't just rely on one. 
Now, with your production company, you focus on the untold stories and you have told some incredible stories that have included a close to my heart, the military families, those that have come back from war. You have included also about the police stories on that. Now, I'm curious, what are some stories that you feel are untold that are you're wanting to cover and you haven't yet covered? Mm. Well, you know, I think a big story, and we're working on a, doing a half hour on this now, is to look at the post office, right? It's in the press right now because the president's trying to undermine the efficacy of the post office. But I think a lot of people don't understand why the post office was created and why it's so in debt today. And so there's a lot to do there. I've always liked doing such stories that are kind of in the middle of being talked about and giving people a lot more information and data so that they understand what's at issue and they can be more knowledgeable in their conversations. So that's something that you're working on now or something that you're considering? No, no, we're working on it now. It probably won't air for another three or four weeks, but yeah. You know, so anything like that, like it's a story that's in a way, I don't think everybody's talking about it, but it's definitely in the backdrop. And I think it requires a lot of explaining and a lot of context. And I always like adding that context. Right. And I know something that you have done a little bit, I mean, in terms of your journalism, in terms of what's been hot right now, in terms of race, talking about race, talking about the social injustice. Is that something you're considering pursuing further or... Yeah, we always report on race. I don't think that'll ever end. I think we have a lot of insight and a lot of opportunity to tell good stories and opportunity. And I think now more than ever, people are interested in those stories. So we constantly are working on them and we see them as a, that as a really kind of big growth area for us. Right. And what are your thoughts on this? Because I feel like, especially since COVID happened and then the terrible things have happened with the deaths and the protests and all these things. It feels like the conversation is continuing to happen because in the past, this has always happened, right? These unfortunate events have happened. Someone was killed unjustly, but it feels like the conversation continues to happen before it would be talked about, would be covered and it would be forgotten. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think there is a tremendous value in the conversation and then we illuminating kind of issues in that conversation. So yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. Absolutely. I'm hoping it continues. That's that was my fear back in June mm-hmm. that once July came around, it has simmered down some, but I feel like people are still talking about it because there's just so much work to be not done in that area. And unfortunately, it has fallen to the hands of a few right? Which of course, which is why in that sector, there's so much the people burn out because it's a heavy load. It's a heavy load to do. I think that's so exactly true. So I'm with you and I don't know. I do not know how long it's going to last. Right. I'm hopeful for the best. Hopeful. Now let's go back to you as a mother. I also have teens. I have two boys and I'm curious to know, what are some money lessons you would like your kids to take on with them through adulthood and beyond? One thing we're trying to do is to make sure that they just understand money, right? A good analogy is, again, back to the post office. Sure, there's lots of people who think they take a letter, they mail it, you know, that's the post office. But the post office does much more than that. And how it was formed and the history and how it pays its bills, right, is actually very important to the functioning of the post office. 
So for my kids, I want them to understand like what is a mortgage? You know, it's when do you take out a mortgage? Why do you need a mortgage? If you're taking a mortgage, doesn't mean you can't afford the house. Is it better to take out a mortgage? Should you buy something in cash? If you're earning money, where should you put it? What do you do with it? How much is worth to get? You know, do you want to get paid on something? Are there times when you should walk away from a job offer? I think we've been having those conversations. My, my boys are just 15. So I think next year they'll probably start working. Their sisters have really just started working in the last year or so. And I think they've just learned a lot about how to think about money, not just in and out pluses and minuses, but the concept of what do you want to do with this money and how can you leverage it? Well, I think they're in good hands for sure. I can only imagine the conversations between you and your kids or maybe your husband and your kids, because especially with your experience as a journalist. And I always have found you, like you have mentioned before, you're very straightforward <laughs> in a very gracious way. It's just such a beautiful thing, what I see about you. And I completely admire. So I can completely see these conversations with your kids. But like, I never understood that. Like, I didn't really, until I was older, I didn't really understand like what a mortgage was. Then mm -hmm. I didn't really understand. And again, these conversations are different in New York City where you have maintenance fees and there's a co op and a condo option, et cetera, et cetera, versus a place where you're buying a house. And is it worth it to buy a house in cash if you have it? Is it not worth it? I mean, I just think these are important conversations to be figuring out. Is it worth it to buy something and then fix it up? And then how do you figure out what you need, what the total cost would be to make that all worth your while? What can you sell it for? What could you rent it for? What's the market look like? Those are just conversations about being in the discussion about money. And I don't think I ever was like that in a kid. My parents were like, you have $10, don't spend more than 10. If you have $10, put two away. So you were saving it. And now you have really $8, you know, like very simplistic in a way. Right. Now it, that made me think of another question for you with your production company, as you mentioned, and you love to tell the untold stories. Would there be some untold story that you would like to tell that relates to money? There's all sorts of things. I mean, within what you talk about with what you cover, it definitely ties to money. But if there was something specific, you mentioned money conversations, what would that untold story be? We've done a lot because I think a lot of issues that we talk about, especially around poverty and opportunity, right? They involve money. Absolutely. We did a whole documentary that looked at students who are, are hungry on campus and they're hungry because they can't afford college, which has gotten very out of control and costs and cannot also afford college and afford to eat. The meal plan is very, very expensive. And so for me, it's, you know, I think everything, I think money and access to money and access to capital and access to sort of financial education really undergirds a lot of the stories we tell. We're in the middle of shooting a series in Louisville. We have a lot of people in these homes in Louisville who their homes don't really have a lot of value because they were redlined, you know? And so you have communities that haven't grown in value until something happens and a developer decides to come in and snap up all those houses. You know, people who can't, whose homes don't have inherent value then aren't able to fix up their homes. So, you know, all those things are about money. Absolutely. They're, they're stories about communities, but they're really stories about money. 
Yeah, it's all related, all intersecting. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been fantastic, Soledad. I really have appreciated you being here, taking time out of your busy schedule while on vacation. It means so much to me for having this conversation with me. And I appreciate you as a person and your leadership, the example that you set as women for women of color. I mean, you just such a shining light for me. So I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Nice to chat with you. ¿Qué pensaste? I hope this conversation with Soledad is helpful for the goals you have in your career. With these three simple best practices, I'm sure you will be closer to your goal. Are you ready to try them out? Remember that these best practices are don't be afraid to lean on people with expertise that you may not have at the moment to help you reach your goal. It's okay to ask for help. Keep your main goal front and center always and multiple sources of income or multiple streams of income are really, really important. Always keep that in mind. You can connect with Soledad on Twitter at Soledad O'Brien. I'll have the link in the show notes. And following those practices that Soledad shares along with the Daily Dinero Ritual makes a winning combination. You can check it out because it is free and available to you over at jenhemphill.com forward slash dinero. Next week, we will be hanging out just you and I, just you and I, and we will do a deep dive into budgeting so you can stop feeling so defeated with the process. I'm not going to take you through the process of how to budget, but rather a deep dive, just kind of peeling back the layers as to why we get overwhelmed and what we can do about it so we don't feel defeated in the process and give up with budgeting altogether. That is it. Eso es todo. Muchas gracias. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and to choose this podcast out of the thousands of podcasts available to you. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 250 to refer back to everything that you need from the show. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now by simply claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. If you love this podcast, I love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about and take a screenshot or even a selfie, tag us in your Instagram stories with at Turning It Matters with that one thing that you love about this podcast or this specific episode. Bueno pues, that is everything y nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.